Hey friends, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Kent Cartridge. Uh, I've got a man, I've got a lot of history with this brand, going back to my college days when I was waiting tables just to fund my duck hunting addiction. That's when I first discovered Kent, and uh, I'd mess around with other brands, cheaper brands, and literally watch the pellets bounce off of greenheads. Uh, I found Kent, and I fell in love. And nothing's changed over the last 20 years except for, well, I'd say Fast Steel 2.0 is even better than the original. And Kent offers a premium shell at a sub-premium price. Check it out. It's Fast Steel 2.0. You can find it at your local retailer. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. I must admit I felt the flame. Kurt Cobain, a Fender Mustang. MTV brought me up. This is your brain on drugs. I won't forget that first girlfriend that got me into boys to men. And I grew up a lot that year. My sweatshirt said no fear. Ha. My life was a stereo, and it was everything. First one in line for the last dance with Mary Jane. Hiding in my headphones, laying on the bedroom floor. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody into episode 646 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by the good folks over at Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, great tune there, by the way. I just found that one. Stephen Wilson Jr., A Year to Be Young, 1994. <laughs> if you're a 90s kid, that one uh, certainly hits home. I know it did for me. Um, we got a great show lined up for you today as it's awesome to be back from, well, actually it's a catch 22. Would I rather still be in Wyoming chasing bugles? Eh, would I rather be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks? Eh, <laughs> it's really the best of both worlds, but, uh, had, a, had a hell of a trip in Wyoming, came to full draw only one time. Had elk within bow range every day, though. Uh, my buddy David did shoot a nice 5x5, five five, which I got to help him pack out three miles each way. Two trips, lots of blisters, <laughs> but that is a show for another day. I've got two great guests lined up for you here on today's presentation. So, you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos, the one with mud caked on it from 
duck seasons that have long since passed because we're ready to rock and roll. And off the top, our good friend, Britt Longoria, makes her return to the program. A, um, a true adventurer, world traveler, and big game hunter. Uh, lots to get into with Britt. Is, it's, she's someone that literally you could just sit there and talk to for hours because she has seen and done more than most hunters will in a lifetime. No doubt about that. Uh, so we'll talk about some of her favorite hunts of the past year, among other things. Then we will spend some time with Eric Schmidt of the Texas Tarpon Collaborative. Uh, this is an organization I just became aware of. They're relatively new, but I think they potentially, you know, from a scientific standpoint and research-based wildlife management, I think they are on the right track as far as trying to understand what's going on with our Texas tarpon fishery. Uh, and there's a, a lot to unpack there because, you know, Texas once was the tarpon capital of the world. Right there, you know, Port Aransas, Texas. Uh, those days have long since passed. And, and I'm not saying that we are void of tarpon. We still have an okay fishery, but what changed? And is there potentially a way to restore those glory days? I don't know. But Eric will be here and uh, we'll get his take on all things tarpon coming up in just a little bit. It's going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. Let's do a quick giveaway. I'm looking at a case, literally a case while I was in Wyoming, a case of Kent Cartridge bismuth showed up. Yes, sir. That is some hard hitting stuff. These are uh, three inch shells. Number four shot bismuth. <laughs> like you talk about not having cripples. Mm-mm. No, sir. These ducks are D-O-A. Maybe it's D-O-I, dead on impact, right? <laughs> but we'll send two boxes of Kent Cartridge Bismuth to one of you guys today. All you need to do is email the word conservation. That's conservation to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And you are entered into today's Kent Cartridge giveaway. We'll even throw in a Kent Cartridge cap as well. Um, okay, let's knock out a quick break. Coming up next, we're going to travel the globe hunting big game with hunter, conservationist, and adventurer Britt Longoria right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. All the smoke and the neon keep his pain here. nobody knows the home. If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. 
In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. There's a little Dolly Parton bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thanks for being here today. I'm Cable Smith. It's great to be talking all things outdoors with you. And we've got uh, a great guest set to join us here momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by the good folks over at Vortex Optics. Guess what? I've got a 10% off coupon for you. Or actually, it's a code. When you shop at eurooptics.com use that promo code lone star 10 at checkout and that'll save you a big on any vortex scope bino range finder spotting scope you name it anything that they sell they've got at euro optic and you'll get 10 percent off with that promo code so be sure to take advantage of that all right well let's bring her on right now our first guest today Joining us from, I think, somewhere in the San Antonio area, it is my pleasure to welcome Britt Longoria back to the show. Good to see you, too. So your hunting season never seems to stop. Uh, A lot of folks, you know, they hunt from (laughs) September through January, generally speaking, you know, then there's there's always spring turkey and hogs and stuff, but uh, you're off traveling the world, hunting something and some remote place it seems like more often than not so what was your uh what was your last trip that you that you went on last trip we spent about a month in tanzania okay and what all did you hunt there well we were looking for elephant lion um leopard whatever nature would give us but yeah. uh Nothing came together as far as those bigger ones. We've got some really nice uh, lions on bait, but they just, they were old enough, but they just weren't there yet. So we made Uh the kind of conservation choice to let them, let them get bigger and a little bit, you know, more full and Mm. just more development on them. So just plains game, buffalo, fun stuff. Yeah. (laughs) But you've taken, uh, you've taken those species before, right? My husband has. Okay. Yes. Ricardo. Um, I've out of the big five, I've gotten a bunch of Cape Buffalo and leopard. Okay. I knew you had gotten a leopard. That's how we originally met uh, a (laughs) few years ago. My um, Made social media, uh, a firestorm on social media for you. Um, Okay. So I've done, I've gotten a buffalo and I have done a, just a rhino, uh, Vita dart thing, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. I had to have my hesitancies about, like, are we exploiting this animal? How many times has it really darted? You know, if they're darting it every month and, you know, is that really something that's good for conservation and good for the rhino? And I would say no. 
Um, and I don't know that that happens or not. It didn't happen on, on the place that we went. We went to mm-hmm. a very reputable outfitter. Um, well, now they have legislation that, that you can't do it multiple times within a certain time period and stuff yeah. like that. So they've really cranked down on the green hunting as far as not, as you're saying, exploiting the animal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, and I walked, I walked away from it with the, you know, the perception that, eh, it's not, it's not a bad thing. And, you know, you're raising money, uh, for conservation and you're keeping these rhinos on the landscape, you know, uh, which is the main thing, uh, the main takeaway for me, like if I had to weigh the options, you know, if we have to green hunt them to keep them around, okay, then I'm going to say, let's do that. Um, just, and, and it was funny because where we hunted them, they had another species of a big five on the property. And I videoed that species and he's like, please don't post that. And mm. I was like, oh, why? He's like, well, we're one of the few places that has rhinos and that thing. And if you post the video, they'll connect the dots and then they're going to come kill our rhinos, the poachers. So then I was like, okay, that's, that validates what we're doing here. You know, we're, oh, we're paying sure. to keep these, these rhinos here. Um, so you've gotten a leopard and, and a bunch of buffalo. What, um, what would you say is at the top of your bucket list? Hmm. Um, as far as things that hunts that I haven't taken, mm-hmm. I would say just the adventure side of Central Asia is really, really fun. It's just so exotic and you're so out of your element culturally and geographically that I would say there's a type of elk that's in Mongolia that would be really, really fun to hunt. Um, the blue sheep in Pakistan uh-huh. is just fascinating up in, in the Himalayas. So some, some things like that, probably some more Central Asia. Nice. Yeah. I always, uh, what is the Marco Polo sheep? That's the the monstrous one. And yes. where, where do you have to go to that? Kazakhstan or Tajik, Tajikistan? Tajikistan. Yeah. I think they're incredible. My father was, my father, Joe Hosmer, was really involved with working with the government and Safari Club International to reopen Tajikistan. Mm-hmm. And so he went over with biologists that SEI helped pay for privately in order to do uh, lamb counts and actually get a true population study done for the government to make a educated decision on reopening Tajikistan. And what was really fascinating about the cultural aspect is that to the local people who are sheep herders and you know pastoralists that to go and shoot a Marco Polo, it was technically free versus to shoot their sheep and eat their sheep, which was $5. Yeah. So just the perception of giving wild species a value then created conservation element around it that then the local people said okay now we can't just go and shoot the marco polo willy-nilly when we're hungry we've got to preserve them and protect them and manage the the population so i think it's an incredible conservation story that ties directly to to hunting Mm -hmm. and that's probably at the top of the list for you know and and i'm not one of them just from a financial uh, standpoint like sheep hunting is a very expensive hobby and the Marco Polo, I think, might be the most expensive one out of all. Uh, 
but hey, you, you want to shoot a sheep in North America and you're in for $20,000, just, you know, doll sheep. Okay. 20 grand. You want to shoot a desert bighorn or Rocky mountain bighorn? Well, now we're like 50 grand and stone sheep's probably somewhere in the middle of all that. But, uh, but they keep putting in for the draws. So, you know, maybe Perfect. one day I'll hit the lottery. You never know. Uh, what was your, what was your favorite hunt of 2022? 2022. Let's see. I would say just going back to Tanzania. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I used to work in Tanzania in conservation and anti-poaching and, and stuff. So it was almost a bit of a, a homecoming that it, it feels very familiar to be around uh, the different areas and to hunt with people that we know and love that have become like family. We hunt with the Ramones, the Tanzanian big game uh, safaris, and, and they're just fabulous folks. Okay. And what, uh, what, is your, what is your next trip that you have on the calendar? I know you said you're going for pheasants in Pennsylvania. Yes. And then we head to Mexico at the end of October for coos deer. Okay. And you told me off there that's in Sonora. Yes. So I have a buddy that's gone to Africa with me. He's his family is originally from Mexico and uh, he's been trying to get me to go to Sonora for mule deer for a couple of years now. And, uh, and now that, you know, COVID is in the rearview mirror and travel and everything is, is back to normal. Uh, I think I'm going to take him up on that offer, but what, from a safety standpoint, you have a, you have property there, you have a lease there. Um, is there anything you need to be concerned with when, when traveling to Mexico from a, you know, just a cartel standpoint? Well, the, the whole thing is, is that wherever you are, even in America, you've got to watch your surroundings. You've got to be conscious of gut feelings. If you don't feel comfortable with the situation and you just got to keep your wits about you, I would say from a traveling standpoint, to probably fly in is better than to drive drive down because it's a lot of stuff on the immediate border. Um, don't travel at nighttime. Go where you need to go during the day. And when you're on your hunting lease, then you're 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 out of the main flow of of traffic and movement and stuff. So you're probably more likely to see. Uh a trespasser on your lease in South Texas than you are in (laughs) Mexico. I mean, it's one of those things that we have friends down in South Texas that, I mean, you have people driving through the the fence lines. I mean, it's just, it's wild, absolutely wild. So I would say going to a, a place in Mexico, you're probably better off in South Texas. I saw uh, a video yesterday with our, our lovely vice president who was telling us that the border is secure and there's no problem. And I'm like, well, why did my buddy find a dead guy on his place then? Like, just oh a gosh. dead I- migrant. Uh, I, he probably died of heat exhaustion. You feel bad for these people. I would probably do the same thing looking for a better you know, opportunity, but sure. don't, don't, uh, don't tell me that the border is secure. Sure. But, we see last time you were on, I think you were, you just gotten back from being marooned in like Cameroon or <laughs> was it, was it Cameroon? It was Cameroon. Were you, COVID had just started and you got stuck there? Yes. We were in kind of the Northern part of Cameroon, Cameroon's in West Africa, mm-hmm. uh, hunting Lord Derby Eland. And 
when we went over there, it was still kind of all the memes and everyone was joking around that this is just a big, almost like a hoax. And right. we, we didn't really, I don't know, we didn't, I guess at that point, you, you don't think the world can shut down, that that's not even a possibility. So yeah, we're going to go hunting just like always yeah. and get there and things are kind of weird and you can see people wearing masks and it was a little bit more strict and, you know, taking temperatures when you get off the plane, but we just, you know, carried on and got, you know, multiple flights up the country and then drove about nine hours to where we would be hunting and hearing stuff come in through text messages and satellite phone stuff. And this just doesn't, this doesn't look right. And then they're saying, okay, all of the ports to Cameroon are going to be closed down. Uh, if you want to get out, you need to make a plan over the next few days. Otherwise you're SOL. And so we were debating, do we just stay here and keep hunting? Cause if this is what's going to happen. We're the safest place possible. We have water, we have food, we have everything that we need. We're not around people. And it just kind of the world went crazy, went haywire. And so we were like, okay, no, let's, you know, we're going to make the plan to make the trip back into the cities and see if we can get out. And we landed in Douala, Cameroon with the assumption that we'd be able to get out over the next day. And there were no planes at the airport. Everything that was going to leave had already left. And we got off this small regional flight and they said, nope, sorry. So, okay. We checked into a local hotel, which West African hotels, even the nicest ones are not very, very nice. And it was a matter of being in a probably 300 square foot hotel room for the next two two and a half weeks while we're waiting for essentially the embassy, the embassy, what got us out on an expatriation flight back into the United States. Um, they had yeah. chartered of uh, Ethiopian airlines and packed, packed it with a milk run through West Africa, picking up ambassadors and U S citizens that were stranded. And we landed in, in Dallas on April 1st. <laughs> That's just insane. But yeah, you never think the world's going to shut down. It's uh, unprecedented. But I, I remember going back to South Africa in February of 2021. And we get off the plane and they're like, oh, Americans, we've missed you. We ate a hamburger at the airport we landed at because the guy was like, come on, come, come. You want a cold beer? And we're like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> It was like, so good to see you. you know, It was good to be back, though. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and continue the conversation with Britt. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the 940 Pro Waterfowl. Duck season is upon us, and I don't understand why you haven't already picked up a 940 Pro Waterfowl. This thing, shoulders like a dream, cycles beautifully, and get this. You can shoot it 1,500 times before you need to clean it, which I hate cleaning my guns. Pick one up at your local retailer or head over to Mossberg.com to order one today. We'll be right back 
on SCI's Love Song. It's time to tell you about Protect products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is, they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. Hey guys, Cable here for Cryo and More, the one-stop feel-good shop in McKinney, Texas. I've been going there for over a year now. All your holistic healing needs with cold, heat, and compression therapy services. And these services, they're the fastest way that I've found to reduce inflammation and to get to the root cause of pain. You don't need to be in pain, though, in order to benefit from these services. Cryotherapy helps with burning calories, optimizing sleep, boosting energy, and much more. I can tell you that's true because I feel like a brand new man every time I get out of the cryo chamber. Uh, plus, compression therapy helps promote healthy blood flow. Come in anytime before 1 o'clock, 1 p.m., Monday through Saturday. Say the words cold outdoors and you'll get $10 off your cryo session. That's cryoandmore.com. There's a brand new one from Tyler Childers, Angel Band, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today as we're still visiting with a passionate big game hunter, conservationist, and world traveler, Brett Longoria. Before we dive back into that conversation, though, this segment brought to you by SCI the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I keep telling you guys this. There are a lot of great groups out there that all do positive things for hunting and conservation, but none do it as comprehensively as SCI. They've got their finger on the pulse of what's going on in Washington, D.C., right there on Capitol Hill. Our uh, old pal Ben Cassidy makes sure that everyone is in the loop as far as anti-hunting, anti-conservation, anti-trapping, anti-Second Amendment legislation trying to be crammed down our throats by these uh, elitist bureaucrats. Yep. SCI makes sure that we're all in the know. They put their money where their mouth is, and that doesn't even take into consideration everything they do to help fund the conservation, both domestically and internationally. So SCI is a one-stop shop, baby. They do it all. 
For more information or to join our ranks, we'd love to have you. Just head over to safariclub.org. And with that being said, um, let's go ahead and get back into our conversation with SCI Life member, Britt Longoria. So I think we're probably both in our 40s. You, you, pro- you, you wear it a lot better than I do. Well, that's what I'm not in my 40s. 36. But. 36? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so you've been doing this a long time, though, as far as um, international travel and hunting. Has the perception changed at all from when you first started hunting internationally to today as far as, you know, when a woman shows up in camp? Well, that's a hard question for me to answer because I never experienced any type of sexism towards it. Uh Um, I never... I was always very welcomed and very, I mean, even in Pakistan as a Christian American woman coming in wearing pants, you know, I I was very welcomed and respected. I mean, certainly cultural differences, but I was, I've never been put down or not happy to, to be there. So that's more of just a social media situation, I would say. Say so because honestly, within the hunting community, obviously, just demographic wise, you have 85% of hunters are male. So, just in general, you're around more of a masculine group, anyways. But, but yeah, like I said, I've, I've never, I've never not been welcomed or not accommodated for or anything. Okay. That would make me feel uncomfortable. Um, we've both had our Instagram uh, Instagram accounts deleted without provocation. I mean, I had violations, right? But they were they were ridiculous. Um, I don't know that you really had any stuff that was flagged, and all of a sudden one day your your account is just gone. Yeah. And and how long was your page down? I think it's about a week. Okay. It's about. And you were, able to get it back i mean there's just so much head scratching that goes on there because they don't offer any support like yeah you can't call someone and be like hey can you help me yeah Yeah. uh (laughs) it took me a month to get to get mine back what is your temperature on you know the status of social media in 2022 Uh, on the platforms that we exist on currently i think there is I'm okay. Let me back up. So I started my account about probably four months after the whole leopard thing happened, mm-hmm. where my photo was was stolen from the SCI record book. And for me, the creation of my account was specifically to give a narrative and a voice that I otherwise didn't have to talk about that particular photo because that was so vilified. And if anyone's wondering what I'm talking about, just Google Brittany L. Leopard and you'll you'll see what, I, what I'm yeah. saying. But it was one of those things that I created it because there's such a narrative that's missing in so much of the hunting accounts. And I felt that I could help influence or at least give some words to emotions that otherwise might not have been said. Now that I'm almost, let's see, about four years into this account, I feel a little bit burnt out 
wow. about it. I feel like, am I doing this for everyone else's entertainment or am I doing it for myself? And I don't have sponsors or a monetary reason to do it. It's just a, a hobby for myself. But at the same time, I think it is vitally important to add the values and the stories to the facts and figures. And so I'll continue to keep doing it, but just probably not in the same um, frequency that I have in the past. Right, right. I think that's a fair point. Uh, there's days when, and it's work for me, right? I mean, I have, like you said, sponsors and uh, advertisers and, and part of their exposure is through this uh, podcast and radio right. show. But a lot of it is also social media is content creation. And there's times when I'm just like, God, I just don't want to do this. I'm so over, not, not, I, I love creating content for them. What I don't love is just dealing with the, the a-holes on social media and the and they are <laughs> yeah and so you know sometimes i keep my accounts private so they can't get on there um sometimes i keep them public you just you never know what uh and they don't grow anymore so i guess it really doesn't matter because they have me shadow banned so on lockdown where the instagram page was just humming along and then two years ago and no coincidence it's right before the 2020 elections uh yeah sorry no more exposure for you. And it's, and it's kind of been the same since then. And we, I mean, wh why is that surprising? We, we just heard Zuckerberg admit the FBI, like on Joe Rogan's podcast, he said, yeah, the FBI told us to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story. Yep. He admitted it. So like, it's no secret. Like, oh yeah, you were, you were talking about stuff like that. You're, you're saying vote conservative. Well, your, your page is on life support essentially. Um, I hope that there's something new. I don't see, I don't, because the, the powers that be on those platforms, they're not changing. They're not going to all of a sudden be like, Oh yeah, no, we like hunting and guns all of a sudden. So I don't think they're like a long-term investment for, for us as, as a hunting community. Um, but I guess we're still here and this is the playground we have to play in for now. Well, and I think it's also important to have that presence. I mean, I've loved the, the content that you've been creating around your kiddos going dove hunting mm -hmm. and illustrating them, you know, getting ready in the mornings and sitting out in the field and being patient and then cleaning the animals afterwards and, you know, dove poppers with jalapenos and kind of the whole, the whole story to it, which I think is so important rather than just the, the trophy photos of, yeah. Hey, here's my, here's my haul of doves for the day. I mean, it's, I think that that's one of the good things that we yeah. as hunters have to include. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe that's why at the end of the day, like you said, it's still, even on days when you're burned out, it's like, Hey, we still have to do this. We still have to put the other side of the story out here. We're not all uh, just bloodthirsty rednecks going on killing sprees. And I would say really most 99% of us aren't, you know, the ones that are, are probably in jail. So, um, For sure. yeah. Um, Should be. what is your, what is your favorite thing to hunt? My favorite thing to hunt. I would say from a nostalgic perspective, hunting in new England in the fall, I grew up in Maine. So running setters with bells through the alders and the leaves changing color, chasing woodcock and grouse 
that's just the ultimate for me. So I'm, I've never hunted grouse up there. I guess the closest thing I could compare that to is, and you said the leaves changing. That reminds me of uh, grouse hunting in New Mexico when the aspens are, are changing colors. And I've only, I've done a lot of it. Don't, I've only taken my dog one time though. And she, she died last year. This, I wouldn't dream of taking this new puppy to on a trip like that yet. So she's got a little, a little more seasoning to go before. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, there's, that is, you know, the nice over under shotgun. That is a picturesque nostalgic. I think of photos from 50, 60 years ago and a group of guys back then there weren't any women in the photos, right? Um, <laughs> hunting camp photos, they, they, but, uh, you know, and, and they were wearing plaid back then, not, oh, yeah. the, not the latest and greatest Merino wool that we have today. Uh, let's work in a quick break here. When we come back, I want to get into your worst experience on a on an outfitted hunt that was completely the outfitter's fault. Uh, we all have those clunkers in our closet, and I'm sure you've got a few. Uh, that segment of the presentation brought to you by, speaking of merino wool, Numa geared for the outdoors. Uh, Wyoming was chilly. Temperatures got down below freezing at night on that uh, elk hunt. But I was nice and cozy in the base haven, top and bottom. This is a, a base layer. And they worked with Polar Tech on this, the industry leader in blending wool with synthetic yarns. Um, and that's cool because you've got the merino wool against your skin for comfort. And then on the outside, the synthetic yarns that excel in moisture wicking and shape retention. It's a highly breathable combination. And I can tell you, after nine days without a shower, Pretty odor resistant as well. Stays warm when wet to boot. So check it out. It's the Base Haven, and you can find it at numaoutdoors.com and save uh, 20% with that promo code Lone Star 20 when you check out. We'll be right back with more on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors. We live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. I also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. 
Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. Dolly Shine bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today as we're still chatting with our friend Britt Longoria. Uh, Before we get into (laughs) some of her worst experiences traveling the globe hunting, uh, this segment is proudly brought to you by Stealth Cam. Actually just put out uh, three new reactors. That's uh, one of their cellular camera options at the new Oklahoma property. Uh, absolutely love these things. Affordable. I think you can pick one up for under uh, 150 bucks. And uh, data plans are as cheap as $5 a month. You can find their entire lineup of cellular cameras at StealthCam.com. All right, let's go ahead and get back into that conversation with Britt. Well, okay, so what is your least favorite hunt that you've been on and you can't use the cameroon experience because that was just a, a crappy situation <laughs> well the hunt was i did get my lark derby so that I was remember that the yeah. actual hunt was was fabulous um like physically or okay so do so the mo- I mean, do this do the most physically that. demanding hunt that you've done <laughs> and then also the worst and i mean we're not looking for an outfitter's names so we're not here to flame anybody but just the worst outfitting. I mean, I, I'll tell you mine. Uh, I I had used to do this photo of the year contest, and I would take uh, somebody on a hunt. And this couple won a white-tailed deer hunt. We we go to this ranch, and the guy who owned the ranch not only didn't have a, a guide there for us, he told me where the feeders were. You know, generally, like I had no idea where I was going. There wasn't a, a kernel of corn in any one of the feeders. So I've got this couple there that drove six hours and, you know, I'm thinking this guy, you know, he's got a good reputation. So I thought oh, it was the worst experience ever. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> um, but anyway, what, what about yours? Okay. Probably one of the worst was we went to Mexico for, a, I believe it was the Central Plateau Whitetail. Mm-hmm. And it was a buddy that said, oh, this is great. This is all set up. I'm getting it ready for bow hunting because my husband only bow hunts and blinds are ready. To, I mean, just perfect. We're just all excited. Go down there. And the accommodations are in like a old farmhouse which was fine but it was winter time so it was absolutely freezing and they wouldn't light the fireplaces unless you're like hey can you light the fireplace oh yeah yeah, yeah. and then mm. they eventually do it but it's still freezing cold the food was like they would reheat nachos and dump like meat on top of it and it was just all greasy mm. It was from like the day before, like appetizers that they would incorporate in like the actual meals. And then this so-called buddy 
comes out and he's like, oh yeah, so these are the, the antlers from the deer that I shot last week. And we're like, oh, okay, that's, that's great. And we're not seeing anything. I mean, nothing. And it's like, so this quote unquote buddy goes down and shoots the really great deer that he's charging us like good money to come down and hunt right. for. And then he got it quote unquote for free because he's bringing clients. And it's it just, it was like the whole thing was just the comedy of errors. I mean, the, the, um, the blinds were rifle blinds. So Ricardo couldn't pull back his bow in the blind and they're like oh well you can move to the other one and it's like well this is the time to be hunting so now they're having him like walk out in dusk or like right before dusk when everything's supposedly coming in through like the crunchy woods to go to a different blind it's like oh my gosh just just stop we ended up not getting anything i got super sick oh it wasn't the food was it no it was (laughs) like a cold and like my whole face was just totally swollen with um just uh, mucus and coughing and sore throat and just i mean i was the whole thing was just uh-huh. like, get me home put me in my bed and let me forget about this <laughs> i would say okay so then probably the hardest physical hunt that i've done was i'd say maybe my mountain goat mm. i mean i literally so we were in british columbia i was with my dad and I remember climbing up the mountain and we would walk maybe 50 paces and I'd have to catch my breath. And I'd, I'd spend like maybe 10, 20 seconds. Like <gasps> I felt like my lungs were going to pop out my throat. I mean, it was, it was so intense and it was on the, the skeet or the sheet what is it? Screet, um, rocks where it's like, you're basically walking on dinner plates that like slide down and it's all layered shale? up shale kind of, I mean, it was crazy, crazy hiking. And then once you get to the top of this mountain, you then kind of look over and glass over and find, um, yourself in kind of a saddle bowl and you'd look for the mountain goats. And then we had clouds come in and we were on maybe a, about a 10 foot wide cliff and these clouds came in and I lost the perception of up and down and I got really, really bad vertigo. So the guide had me like lay flat against the back of the, the cliff. And I remember feeling so nauseous and disorientated because you basically have 10 feet in front of you and then it's nothing but you know it's a giant I don't know two three hundred foot drop off that you're waiting Mm. on to hopefully find a goat that pops out from the other side so that day I remember we ended up having to call it because those clouds came in which is but that was probably physically the most demanding and kind of mentally thing where it's like okay I have to get I have to do this I don't have a choice I've got to get up here yeah. So. And, and you got, so you got the mountain goat. It did. It did. That's, see, that's one that I like is, is close to the top of my bucket list. And one that isn't, it's not a cheap hunt, but it's one that I could like stomach, you know, 12, $15,000. Uh, it's a lot more doable than, than 50,000 for the desert. Well, it's, it's the same hunt as a sheep hunt. 
So, I mean, you, you have, you have the ability to, to really experience it and then also be like, is it worth it to spend $50,000 on the sheep? Yeah. If this just really wasn't fun. Yeah. <laughs> and well, there are people that love their mountain hunting and that's, that's all that they do. And that's, I would say probably the, the athletes of the hunting world, that they're just some incredible people that, that that's, that's their love. I'm leaving for the mountains on Monday for Wyoming for a archery elk hunt. And, uh, something that I do every fall. That's probably my favorite week of the year, but as a Texan, you know, it's not like we have trailheads just out of, out our back 40, like a lot of the Western people do. For sure. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where I, I like to go play in their sandbox and then listen to them bitch on social media about how we shoot deer over feeders. <laughs> I'm like, listen, buddy, I can, I can come to your place and kill an elk with a bow. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you have six tags in your pocket, but, uh, in Texas, you don't, we don't see a lot of deer unless we cut some arrows and we put feeders up. I mean, it's, uh, do you want more hunters or less hunters? You know, no, so, for sure. I don't know. I think that's, that's my biggest, um, uh, probably my biggest gripe within the hunting community is people just bitching at other people about the way that they do it. And I found that most of that, that ideology exists based off of what you're, whoever taught you how to hunt, where you, where you were born and what your dad or grandpa believed in is how you see the world. Um, And it's not right or wrong, but there's just a lot of closed mindedness. Like come to Texas, come, come to my dear lease with me and I'll show you. You go spot and stock and go kill yourself a nice 10 point whitetail. I bet you $5,000. You're not going to do it. No, for sure. And, and I think that there's also some really interesting perceptions with international hunting mm-hmm. that, you know, automatically people are like, Oh, well, you know, she's just a, a trophy hunter that goes and hunts all these things, whatever for bringing home for taxidermy stuff. And it's like, no, actually I don't, I really, I don't do taxidermy. I do it for the experience. And I, I love to just go on the adventure too. Uh And there was a post that I put up about um, anti-poaching in, let's see, I was in Uganda and we were coming across a whole snare line of maybe hundred, 200 wire snares. And the wire snares were motorcycle cable cables like the brake cables uh-huh. and they would just loop them around and they would set them up in all these bushes mm-hmm. and entrance exits of kind of thicker areas and indiscriminately snare whatever went through it and it was a very much a the commercial illegal operation um bushmeat trade where it's not just the one guy going out to try to feed his family. I mean, this mm. was definitely a commercial. Poaching, yeah. mm-hmm. huh. um, and so I posted it, gave some background information on where I was, what was going on, how many snares we had found. And there were people from, from Canada that were like, this is horrible. You can't be doing this because this is against um, what we do as trappers and da, 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 da. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. There is no comparison between North American legal models of trapping and snaring 
that are historical, which I am fully in support of, versus a commercial illegal operation in Africa that doesn't have the responsibility. I mean, these guys aren't going out and checking it daily. They might leave something. They might, I mean, it's, you know, comparing apples and oranges, maybe it's the same method of take. But again, as you're saying, the concept of that one person gets so wound up and upset about the situation that it's being done or the light that it's being presented in. Mm. I think, as you say, it's, it's hard within the hunting community because everyone is coming from their own ideology and typology where there's not that general understanding that, Hey, at the end of the day, we're all hunters. We all are the same team. Yeah. Although I would say that uh, the picture that Texans for mountain lions is trying to paint is that we are all out. All of us are out there setting a hundred snares, trying to catch mountain lions every day. So I don't know if you've, you've probably seen what's going on there, but I don't know if you've waded into that very much. It's been, uh, it's been eye opening to see um, the anti-hunting, anti-trapping ideology, try to get its foot in the door with Texas parks and wildlife. And I've talked about enough on the show. We don't need to get into it, but um, I've always, people always say, well, why do you care? Or why do you, talk about what's going on in California or Washington or New York or whatever. Like, because if you don't think it could happen in Texas, then you, you, you're too ignorant and I can't help you because it's coming. And here it is. It's in our lap right now. What are we going to do about it as a, as a hunting community in Texas? No, for sure. I, I grew up in, in Maine and my folks were really involved with the Maine bear legislation. Mm-hmm. I think it was probably in the late nineties, early two thousands where Maine had a big, um, a big push to stop the trapping and baiting of bears. And in Maine, you know, you might, you might be a hunter and you might not like the concept of trapping or baiting or something like that, which, you know, we all again have our own ideologies, but in Maine, it is such thick forest. Maine is the most populated bear populated country in the lower state, excuse me, in the lower 48. I mean, there are so many freaking bears in that one little state that you have to have management. You have to have the ability to bait something in, decide, okay, no, this is a sow with cubs. We're going to pass, or this is a nice boar. We're going to take him or that. And it's a really interesting thing that there was so much pressure on it from a, even from within the hunting community that it was like, Hey guys, if we can't all agree that if we give an inch, they're going to take a foot. Right. So we all got to stick together, even if we don't necessarily want to participate in a certain type of legal. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a really great point. You know, if you don't want to do it and, but, but you're pro hunting or pro trapping, don't do it, but don't support the idea that, you know, you, if you're not on, if you're not on this side of the fence, then you're on the other side. There's only two options. You can't be in the middle be like, eh, I'm a hunter, but, uh, I don't really like bear hunting with hounds. I kind of have a problem with that. Well, okay. Go to Maine and try to try to kill a bear then. Exactly. I, I've killed two bears in Alberta and that's the boreal forest. And it's kind of the same deal. It's like, 
after driving through there on the logging roads, like you get right, you get off the logging roads and it's so thick. How would you ever spot and stalk a bear in there? Like, yeah, I mean, you could get, if you spent your whole season, you might get one. Okay. But like, how are, how are we going to actually manage the population? You're not, you're not going to. And it's the same thing with deer feeders. And I mean, the South Texas brush country is impenetrable. Like you're not, you're not going to have any success. Uh -uh. You could see six feet maybe, uh, and get scratched while you're doing it. Um, as far as, okay. So your plans for 2023. So you're doing the pheasant hunt and then what's your next big international trip? Ooh, in 23, we're going to go to Ethiopia. Okay. Well, now you have to tell us what we're hunting there. Well, it's some incredible species. It's the, oh my goodness, the, the mountain yala, which is probably one of the most beautiful antelope. It kind of looks like mm-hmm. a giant yala. I mean, think okay, like so it's different from the yala on my wall in that it's bigger. It's bigger. It's almost like, think, think almost like a kudu and a yala had a baby. Okay. Kind of like mm. big, beautiful, stocky, mountain game. I mean, it's, it's really, really interesting. Um, there's Menelik bushbuck. There's a bunch of indigenous species, um, or endemic species and that are just really specific to that area. So we'll be in the higher plateaus as well as the desert area. Okay. That sounds exciting. I don't think people, um, generally speaking, unless you've been there, you don't have any idea that Africa has uh, so many diverse um, topographies and like just on the Eastern Cape, which my, my travel to Africa is way more limited than yours. I've gone to the same area of South Africa five times, but every time I go, I see something different. Like, cause here's, you fly into Port Elizabeth. Okay. There's the beach, there's the ocean. And now you drive two hours over here and you're in, you're in the mountains over here. It's more like a rainforest. Uh, and then down here, we have something that reminds me of the South Texas brush country mm-hmm. where Inyala live and you're never going to see them unless they actually come out to the open for a few minutes. But yeah, it's very, it's very diverse. So Ethiopian mountain hunting sounds pretty awesome. And Inyala is, uh, my PH always says it's like the most mysterious of the antelope that they routinely hunt. It's beautiful. Yeah. And there, you know, South Africa is such a neat country. So I went to university in Pretoria mm-hmm. and I studied nature conservation. So I did a lot in you know, zoology, orthonology, and then also the interpretation of nature. And one of the crazy things about South Africa is it's basically a little bit bigger than the size of Texas, but it has seven different unique biomes, like oh. true different plant kingdoms. Yeah. And so it's one of the most diverse countries yeah. in the world. I mean, it's, it's an incredible little, little chunk of the world. Yeah. There was one, uh, one of the tiny 10, they, I didn't, I didn't hunt this species yet. Um, but one of the guys that was on my last safari did, and they went to the beach and hunted this little thing in the sand dunes. I don't, it was called like a gray, it was Orby maybe. What were you going to say? SUNY? SUNY, maybe that was it. I don't know. Um, But I mean, just again, now we're going to the beach and we're hunting in the sand dunes for this other little member of the tiny tent. Uh, Or or you could go sit in the jungle 
and hunt blue diker. I mean, like, and all of this is within like two hours of, of each other. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, okay. Well, what is your, Brett, as we wrap things up, your social media account that you're going to be paying less attention to, but we'll still follow. <laughs> well, pay attention because I'm on, I'm on, um, with my hunting, then that's what mm-hmm. I really got. So when I'm on a safari or on a trip, then you're going to see a lot more activity. Um, it's Brit Longoria, B-R-I-T-T-L-O-N-G-O-R-I-A. Awesome. Well, hey, it's always great to catch up. I certainly enjoy it. And uh, I look forward to following along in your adventures in the future as always. So, and thanks for being a great voice for conservation. We appreciate that. And, um, you know, to have a, a female who does it in such a, tells a story in a respectful manner, um, I think it's, it's really great. I love your page and your content. So appreciate what you do. Thank you, Cable. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, have a great fall. Thanks. You too. There she goes. Our good friend, Britt Longoria. Uh, Great stuff there. That segment was brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. And uh, they have locations in Marion and San Antonio. And uh, also Big and J Whitetail Attractants. You can find their awesome lineup of Big Buck Attractants at BigandJ.com. Up next, we'll visit with Eric Schmidt of the Texas Tarpon Collaborative. You're listening to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Cable here, and if you're like me, you probably enjoy bold flavors and cuisines. And nobody does Cajun and Creole better than Chris's Specialty Foods in Frisco. Their forte includes specialty sausages, boudins, and andouille, pre-cooked soups, gumbos, and sides, where all you have to do is heat it up. What about high-quality steaks, smoked and fried turkeys, turduckins, and turduckin rolls for the holidays, plus gift boxes. Storefront conveniently located off Dallas Parkway in Frisco, or shop online at chrisspecialtyfoods.com and have it delivered to your door. And the old man raises his glass Trembles as he speaks of the beer Now they're all gone, you know, not too long ago Remember when the tarpon were here Down in Laguna Madre It's Cable Smith welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Little Larry Joe Taylor, my kind of day on Padre. Uh, we're all set to down to the Texas coast and check in with Eric Schmidt of the Texas Tarpon Collaborative. This segment is proudly brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company, America's coffee company. And with that being said, let's bring him on right now, Eric Schmidt. Thanks for jumping on, man. Thanks, man. Great for having me on. Absolutely. So where are you joining us from? I'm in Houston, Texas. Okay. Right on, right on. I spent a lot of time 
uh, in Galveston as a kid. My my grandparents were from Houston, so oh yeah, yeah, and we still go down to Galveston every summer. Home is Port Aransas, but I'm a, I live up here now. Okay, so you've been fishing the coast your whole life, then? Yeah, yeah. I used to, like I said, I grew up in Port Aransas, so you know, a lot of it was in the flats and the bays, and then kind of graduated into the offshore thing and captain license and all that moving all over running boats but mm. settled down and now i'm sitting in my office <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so how old were you when you caught your first tarpon oh man don't get me wrong um i want to say i was probably in early high school middle uh-huh. school late middle school somewhere in there Okay. Whenever they finally, you know, the parents would let us take the boat to the end of the jetties sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Port Aransas once was the tarpon capital of the world. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you see pictures and, and, and there's, I believe, still some bars that are just, the walls are full of tarpon scales. Yeah. Uh, so that's the uh, tarpon inn. The tarpon inn? Yeah, the hotel there. And you think about how the mindset when it comes to these fish has changed. And I don't know why people kill them all the time back then. I guess they ate them. People don't really eat tarpon anymore. No, I don't even think they ate them back then, to be honest with you. I think it was mostly turned into fertilizer. So was it a commercial fishery or was it mostly just recreational guys that just decimated it? Strictly recreational. Huh. And that it it wasn't an overfishing thing; it was a loss of habitat, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, yeah, because you look at uh, you look at redfish specifically. They used to there used to be a commercial market for those, and then they I think it was late seventies or eighties when they protected redfish. Uh, said, no, nah, it's going to be a recreational deal only. Uh, they can farm them, right? But we're not talking right. about commercial uh, fishing these things. That wasn't the deal with the tarpon, loss of habitat. So what what changed then? So it, all the reports lead back to the 50s. I guess there was a, um, a bad, bad drought. And so they started damming up all the freshwater rivers. Well, once they did that, it cut the freshwater supply off to the estuaries that they need for early life habitat. And they just slowly either died out or found a better place to go so i mean and it can almost be directly linked with the years to that yeah yeah well because i was reading this article um in lone star outdoor news Mm -hmm. and uh i think you even referenced in there by the 60s is when the smaller fish you can still catch big fish the old fish but the smaller fish were just mia yeah and they still largely are. I mean, I know a few places where to get them, and you know, some other guys have their little honey holes. But oddly enough, those little honey holes are outfalls from water treatment plants where there's plenty of fresh water for them to live. Huh. So by the '60s, things had changed, and I mean, Port Aransas area no longer the tarpon capital. I don't know where it is. I know. Florida has some great tarpon fishing. We still have some good tarpon fishing off the Texas coast, but yeah. not like oh, it was. Yeah. I went out um, last Saturday to Port O'Connor 
and saw God only knows how many schools. I threw at three different schools, but I couldn't get anything to eat a fly. I had a friend that was out there with like six for 10, I think, all over 100 pounds. So, I mean, that sounds good, if not better than Florida. We just don't have those super calm days where you can get out front like everybody else in Florida. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the large migratory fish are still here. They're mm-hmm. still going to Mexico and then going back up to Louisiana. It's just, you know, the little ones have quite, they've, they've gone. Yeah. So that led you to form the Texas Tarpon Collaborative. Yeah, I'd kind of reached out to, you know, some people on Facebook and, you know, asked what their thoughts were on a juvenile nonprofit. Not so much, you know, they've done numerous studies and there's numerous nonprofits that target for the uh, larger migratory tarpon, but nothing's ever been done to address the juvenile population. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, on that one comment, I had, I had several hundred people chime in and that's when I said, all right, I guess something needs to be done. So I started the nonprofit. It's a, is it a 501c3? It is. Okay. So now that you've started this organization, what, what is the goal? Like, what are you doing to, uh, you know, further that message of protecting these juvenile fish? Tarpon? So first off, our first study that we're working on getting together and we've teamed up with Texas A&M is a, um, an abundance study. We're basically, they're going to go in with sing nets in some of the areas that we all know and just get a baseline number of how many fish there. Go in there with sing nets and just capture and count every single one of them. And then tag the ones that can handle a tag and then come back, you know, several months later and see who's there. Um, that way we kind of know what we're working with because right now we there's no clue. We don't know if there's thousands, hundreds, or tens of yeah. them out there in these spots. So that that's the most important thing right now, just kind of get a baseline number of how many there are. So and data somebody, collection, first of, first of all. Exactly. And they, you know, of course, they'll do studies on water quality and dissolved oxygen and all the things that come along with that. But, yeah, that's that's number one right now. So that's what we're working on today. Today is the data collection, which I think, you know, in any form of wildlife management, fisheries, uh, big game, doesn't matter. Data collection is, is, uh, important sure. so that you have a baseline to work off of. Okay. So we're going to take care of that. When do you think realistically we can have that underway? Um, I'm hopeful by early spring of next year have it going and like okay. i said all, you know all it takes is money but <laughs> that's that's the issue but is raising that kind of money they wanted uh there's a pretty big chunk to do the entire coast of texas yeah oh i imagine so so in addition to folks contributing to the nonprofit, uh, have you guys and i'm sure you have but you got to be looking for grant money 
Yeah, um, we've got one of our board members used to write grants, so he's going to start with that here pretty soon. He travels a whole lot, um, and we're going to start chasing grants. Mm -hmm. We have it. We have as of today. I don't think got any. Mm. So for the average guy like yourself, the, the tarpon fisherman who's you know the tug is the drug, love the fight. Uh, really love pursuing this species in particular. What is your advice to them? Like, because people aren't really keeping tarpon, right? So, uh, but I, but I still know a lot of tarpon are getting killed because it is a lot of times, especially on light tackle, these things will fight for an hour. Yeah. Well, that's, that's an extremely uh, fatigued fish that you're bringing mm -hmm. to the boat. A uh, number two, and this comes from uh, fishing with my friend, Mike holiday, who's a guide out of, uh, out of Florida, he said, if he gets, if he has one tarpon get eaten by a shark, he just closes it down for the day because then the yeah. shark just won't, they're not going to leave you alone uh, with yeah. that school of tarpon anyway. So like he yeah. said, a lot of them get eaten by sharks upon being released. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of them do, um, you know, inadvertently, I think, you know, Louisiana kills and hangs them up all over the place, but I think inadvertently we here in Texas kill more. Uh, just because we catch more and, you know, they mean well by releasing it, but maybe that fish isn't ready to be released yet. And the sharks are waiting. I mean, it's just like Florida, no different. Yeah. Um, I was fishing with a guy a couple of weeks ago who started Texas tomorrow, I believe it was called, which was another nonprofit that tracked the larger migratory fish. And he said, you know, they tagged that fish and, you know, They'd get the numbers back, and right after that fish was released, the sensor in it would go black, meaning that it was in the fish's belly. Yeah. And then over time, you know, the shark would pass it, and it'd pop up and send all the data to the computer, whatever. But they said a lot that happened a lot to fish. Yeah. So what is your? So then, what is the? the advice from from texas tarpon collaborative because you, you don't know, want to tell people not to go fishing for tarpon that defeats no, the point so no. um you know i mean there's try and keep the fight as short as possible i know you know a lot of people catch these things and they're out there fishing for trout or redfish they're not even targeting tarpon um if i hook one on a fly reel and it's i'm underweighted on it i'll just pop it right off uh -huh. I'm not going to sit there. One, I don't want a three-hour fight, but you know, it's 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 going to kill that fish. Uh, the big, the second thing is really keeping them in the water. Um, yeah, when you pull a fish out by its jaw, it's like anything. If I pulled a human out by their jaw and their jaw had to support the weight, it's going to dislocate your jaw um, and their vertebrae messes with. So. Almost 100%, if you bring that fish out of the water, supported by its jaw with the boga grips or lit gaff or whatever it may be, that fish is, it's going to die. So the biggest thing right now, just, you know, there's the term for it, keep them wet. Just keep them in the water. Uh-huh. But what would you say, Because and, and this is like a catch-22, because we want people fishing for tarpon. That's what sure. creates interest. That's why you started Texas Tarpon Collaborative because sure. you love pursuing these things. People want that trophy photo of the fish. 
you know, so yes, they like the fight, but also nothing looks better on Instagram than a big ass tarpon. So it's kind of like, well, we want you fishing for them, but if you can't get your picture, are you still going to fish for them? And it's, yeah. it's sad, right? I mean, it's sad that that's the reality, but I'm just calling a spade a spade. That's, I, I really think there's validity to that stance. Like people want that trophy photo. They do. Um, can you get as good of a photo with the fish still in the water? I, I, I think not, so. I mean, sure, you're not going to get the full length of the fish. I mean, I got some great photos of fish that I caught two weeks ago. Yeah, it was over 100 pounds. It stayed in the water. I got, you know, all the pictures I needed. Mm-hmm. It swam away. Yeah. Well, Tarpon's so, different from a trout, you know, because like I just went fly fishing in New Mexico. And there are fly fishing purists that they get pissed when I take that fish out of the net and take my, my grip and grin with it. But I don't care. And I always let the fish go and and I have yet to kill one doing that. Yeah. Um, so but you know, tarpon we're, you're talking about a a one pound trout versus a hundred pound tarpon, it's not the same thing. No, no, it's not. And if you are, you know, there, there's good and bad still. Um, if you do have to take it, you know, just make sure that it's supported well. Um, try and keep it horizontal, don't ever turn that fish vertical. And you know. Also, they say if it's not dripping water, it's out of the water too long. So, yeah, just try and minimize as much exposure as you possibly can. So, I guess the message is just be cognizant of that fact. And if you That's are going to take it out of the water, do, yeah. do you know use the techniques that you've outlined there? Don't grab it by the draw, jaw. Uh, keep it as wet as possible. Get it back in as quickly as possible. Yeah, uh, and. If you can, just don't take it out of the water would be the best. Exactly. So, okay. But I'm not going to preach that because I, people will be like, oh, you, you know, you're turning on us. You're getting soft. So <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell people to do what they want, but just be cognizant and try to do the best that you can. If you've got to get that photo, fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, it's not a fish. Like we have redfish and trout out the wazoo, but tarpon are only here for certain parts of the year and they're not here for long. So. Yeah. And it's a fish that lives extremely long. I mean, they live 80 to 100 years. So that's going to be interesting when our kids are 60 and they're being like, oh, this fish that was tagged in 2020 is now, you know, 80 years old or whatever it is. Yeah. Because we don't have the data, right? I mean, because we're, we're, this stuff is all new technology as far as tagging and tracking these things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they've used streamer tags and pop up, you know, the satellite tags only and all of that stuff forever, but you know, spaghetti tags and the mark and recapture sort of like the billfish foundation does. Mm-hmm. Um, the, just the tag and recapture where it gives, you know, whoever catches it, marks it down and then it's caught five years down the road and so-and-so how big it is, you know, the, the drill. Yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting yeah, stuff. And and as conservationists, you know, I'm all for uh I, the one thing that I did ask you off the air was are you guys pushing any type of legislation restricting catching or or uh, sport fishing for tarpon and and your answer was unequivocally no, we're not. So that's uh that's when I was like, okay, well, then then I think we're on the same team here. Yeah. No, I mean, I would like to see what Florida has done here and mm-hmm. that's you know fish i believe 
fish over 40 inches have to stay in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, one, because the only way you're going to get that fish is in the boat is by grabbing hold of its jaw and ripping it over the side. It's a big fish, so it hurts them. Um, I, I would like to see that done, but I don't think we'll ever see it. Well, again, I don't really have an opinion on that. I hate telling people what they can and can't do, but yeah, I didn't know Florida had already done that. So, yeah, Florida, and I think the Carolinas both Mm. adopted Mm. it. That's the only thing we'd like to see changed. Yeah, and how how much would a fish over forty inches typically weigh? A pound per inch, or uh, forty inch fish? You're probably looking at yeah, forty pounds. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, interesting stuff. Uh, I like what y'all are doing, trying to, you know, from the scientific standpoint, for sure, collect data on these juvenile fish, see where we're at, see what we can do to, uh, to help out the tarpon fishery. And I don't know if it'll ever get back to its glory days, but at least we can try. So yeah, all we can um, do. Uh, and if you want to give y'all's website, folks want to check you out. I know you're a 501 C three, so there's always an opportunity to contribute to the cause. Sure. Um, it's texastarpencollaborative.org. Uh, you can donate there. You can. We've got a business page set up on Facebook. You can donate there. Um, and we'll be selling hats and shirts here relatively soon. Cool. Right on. Well, Eric, I appreciate it, my friend. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. Take it easy. Yep, you too. So there you have it, the Texas Tarpon Collaborative uh, founder, Eric Schmidt. Interesting stuff there. That segment was brought to you by Armosite, Thermal Imaging, and Night Vision Technology. Unfortunately, man, just looking at the clock, uh, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Eric as well as our other guest, Britt Longoria. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors.